0: Danielle Lepore has a background for over 15 years in counseling and mental health studies. Danielle has always had an entrepreneurial side that paired with her desire to make a difference and help people made her realize that she could do both simultaneously with her own practice, mind-body counseling. Danielle encourages the concept that therapy works best when it is collaborative and believes that therapy is one of the most important parts of self-care. Agreed. Danielle wanted to fill in the gaps she saw in the industry over the years, valuing the importance of convenient quality care. Danielle took to the concept of concierge counseling and is proud to share that as one of the highlights of mind-body counseling. Danielle values a holistic approach in a therapeutic relationship with an emphasis on the mind and body connection. In sessions, Danielle incorporates several therapeutic modalities, including cognitive behavior therapy, reparenting therapy, and mindfulness therapy. Danielle believes therapy does not have to be one-sided. It can be an opportunity for interaction and getting to experience each other as real people. Danielle strives to help people overcome their anxiety and stress to find inner peace and healing. And on today's episode with Danielle, who I'm honored to introduce you to, we talk about mama's mental health, mental health during COVID, and inner child reparenting. It's a really good episode. You're not going to want to miss it. So please help me in introducing Danielle Lepore to today's show. Today, I'm really excited to jump into this conversation with Danielle Lepore. She is a licensed mental health counselor located in New York. Danielle, can you say hi to our audience today? Hi. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Great. Great. It's awesome to have you and I'm really thankful for your time. So I'm excited to talk about what we're going to be speaking on tonight because I haven't really deep dived into these topics too much with anyone. Um, So I'd love to just start by you talking about how you got into becoming a licensed mental health counselor and what your own journey was to where you are today.
1: Sure, absolutely. So um, I've been in the field about 15 years. I uh, started working in an agency setting and um, I've always kind of had a passion for working and helping people in the profession. Um, And then as I kind of gravitated towards um, getting my master's degree, I found that I wanted to do something a little bit more, um, you know, focused on direct connection I felt like the administrative responsibilities in an agency setting kind of have you a little disconnected from people you know um, that you can really actually see and help so I had uh, decided to look into private practice work and I gravitated towards that a little bit and I worked in a few different practices and I really loved it Um, but I have to say I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, I had always wanted to kind of branch out on my own at some point and had my own family and kind of put my career on hold a little bit. And, um, and then last year decided to uh, open my practice during COVID. So that was, or I guess it was two years, almost two years now. So, um, you know, that was definitely an interesting experience, but I felt like it was the right time. There was definitely a great need for, uh, for the work that I do. And, Um, I felt like there aren't too many holistic options for therapy and that was something I really wanted to you know, incorporate into my practice. So my practice is mind body counseling, and we are a, um, a group practice focusing in on holistic psychotherapy. So we talk a little bit about nutrition, um, we focus on movement and how that impacts mental health. And then we also go into, you know, some more traditional kind of therapy modalities where we, um, you know, may talk about reparenting therapy and also cognitive behavioral therapy, depending on the needs of the person.
0: Very cool. And I'm excited to talk about the reparenting today, but I'd love for you to dive more into the mind body connection. I love that your practice focuses on that because I feel like a lot of clinicians will overlook very comprehensive things like nutrition and relationships and lifestyle. And what does it mean to you to look at that mind body connection and full mind body healing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like, you know, um, it's great to go and and receive therapy. I mean, in any form, right? I'm I'm all for therapy (laughs) Um, for sure. But I think, you know, there's, there's so many pieces to what completes our puzzle in in life. Right. And so if we're only focusing on one piece, like the mind, and we're putting all our energy into therapy um, and we're neglecting the body, then we're only kind of solving half the problem. And the same thing goes on the other side, you know, oftentimes I'll see like on social media, people saying, you know, like gym is my therapy. And Mm -hmm. although again, I'm all for movement. I love that. But if you're only doing the one, you know, one part of that, you're only treating Of yourself, you know, so with a mind body connection, you're really looking at it like it's interchangeable. The way that you treat your mind is going to impact your body, and the way that you're treating your body is is naturally going to impact your mind, you know, and so, um, you know, I think that we tend to store a lot of trauma in our bodies, and that shows up in physical symptoms, you know, Um, and oftentimes, I think people don't even realize they have trauma stored in their body, maybe they had an experience that came up for them, and they kind of just um, glazed over it or thought it wasn't as impactful as maybe it really is. And it's it's there, you know, those types of things don't just kind of go away. Um, You know, I like to kind of talk to clients a little bit about how trauma can be big events and trauma can also be small events. And I think, you know, a lot of times people look at trauma as kind of this, um, you know, the big events that we're familiar with, you know, when someone's experienced abuse or they've gone through, you know, um, a catastrophic event or something like that, where you can identify that that's trauma. But oftentimes trauma can be, you know, more commonly, smaller events, like you had, you know, a a divorce, a divorce situation in your family growing up and you never really coped with it. You know, it's really the inability to cope. Um, Or you had, you know, a parent that had significant issues with anxiety and now you're experiencing symptoms as an adult, you know. Um, And so we kind of talk a little bit about how that those experiences imprint on you over time and ultimately result in some of the symptoms you might be experiencing like anxiety, depression, you know, um, or even physical symptoms, muscle tension, headaches, migraines, um, gut health is a huge one, you know, so, so in sessions, we don't necessarily, um, create like a nutrition plan for you but we do talk about the significance that nutrition plays in um, your mental health and you know how can you make small changes in your life to help heal some of those symptoms um, simple things like even just drinking water can help your mental health you know it's these little things that people maybe kind of glaze over or don't necessarily um, think are as significant and and that's kind of what we incorporate into
0: sessions That's so important. I really love that. Because personally, as someone that's been in therapy for 15 years, I never found it super helpful, at least speaking for myself to go somewhere and just talk for 45 minutes and then be like, okay, bye. Like, I loved, loved, loved when therapists gave me actionable steps that I could incorporate into my daily life, or even like a homework assignment, something that could make that tangible change happen.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's definitely a big piece. And and one thing that I, you know, again, try to kind of incorporate into sessions is that, you know, therapy shouldn't be one-sided. It really should be kind of an opportunity to interact with each other and get to know each other. And there's a relationship there um, that forms, you know, and it's it's really a beautiful thing. You know, it's something I really um, value in, in the relationships that I have with my clients. And I know the other therapists in the practice feel similar, similarly that, you know, when you're able to kind of have a conversation and, and give feedback, and it's not that you're telling someone what to do, but you're more or less kind of guiding them and giving suggestions Um, another, you know, thing that I try to do is, is have clients set intentions during sessions. So at the end of every session, you know, we will come up with an intention for them, whether I'm giving it to them, if they're struggling with it, or they'll come up with one that they want to focus on kind of based on the session. Um, and, and what I like about that is, you know, ultimately, like you had mentioned, it kind of gives you somewhat of a homework assignment, but it's not necessarily to say, you know, and I always kind of preface this, I'm not going to be mad if someone doesn't do the work, you know, it's, it's more about setting the intention to put it out there, you're more likely to do it or to at least try to do it, you know, and if you don't get to it, or you change your mind, it's not a big deal. But at least you need kind of that, that um, thought to, to try to make it happen, you know, or work through something during your week.
0: That's beautiful. It's also very empowering too, because it gives them the agency to make that change alongside the support of the therapist. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Circling back, you used the word trauma, which Mm -hmm. a lot of episodes on my podcast, we talk about overcoming and living with trauma. Um, I want to talk about reparenting, inner child's work, Because a lot of people that have experienced childhood trauma, and like you said, it doesn't have to be those macro events. It could be like being invalidated your entire life. How can we begin to do that inner child work healing and start to reparent ourselves as adults?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So reparenting therapy focuses in on, you know, meeting the unmet needs that maybe you had as a child. And I also think it it's also if you've, you know, maybe you're an adult and you've lost touch with that inner child, you know, or you've kind of had maybe things in place and, and there's, they're unmet for you now. Um, and so through the therapeutic process, we try to kind of identify or discuss what are some of the things that are coming up for you. And a lot of times you know, um, that's where some of those traditional kind of talk therapy models present themselves. And then ultimately, you know, it leads down a path where we're able to talk about, okay, well, that sounds like, you know, like you mentioned, not, not feeling heard. I think that's a huge one for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think at at certain times in history, right? Like that was the norm that people, children weren't heard. They were to be, you know, seen, but not heard. That's a big one. So I think, you know, um, when I start to hear that come up in session, the idea here is, okay, so now we know that you weren't hurt as a child and now maybe you're an adult and you don't feel hurt at work or in your peer groups or by your partner. So how can we allow you to feel hurt? How can we, you know, create a, a situation where you're validating yourself now, you don't need someone to kind of um, provide that for you. You can kind of allow, you um, you know, give it to yourself, essentially, give it to yourself. So through that process, we'll talk about, okay, so you know, I'll just use the partner example, if you're struggling um, to connect with your partner, and you're having a hard time feeling hurt in your relationships, you know, it's important to share that, to talk to your partner about that, to say, listen, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling heard in these situations. And maybe it's because of X, Y, and Z from my childhood, I've had this experience, you know, to kind of open up those vulnerabilities and that kind of conversation. Um, and then once you've kind of done that, if you're still feeling unheard, that's where you have to tap into yourself and say, okay, what about this is bringing up these emotions? And how can I reparent myself? How can I allow myself to feel heard? You know, um, and that's, that's a process for sure. I think with with reparenting, um, a lot of, of it is a process, it's a practice, it's not something you're going to kind of like walk away with day one and get it, you know, I think it's more about kind of, okay, so now I feel like, um, you know, I'm not being heard in this situation, how can I, um, voice that. How can I kind of allow that part of me to feel validated? And sometimes that's just by incorporating self love into your life more. You know, a lot of times that result that's the result of a lack of self worth. You know, and and trying to kind of um, realize that not everyone is your parent, not everyone is you know those earlier experiences in your life. You know, um, so it's definitely a process. I think. Um, The best way to kind of give maybe like an overview of reparenting therapy is to divide it kind of into categories. I don't know if you've heard of this analogy a little bit Um, with reparenting. Are you familiar with the categories? You are. Okay. You can explain them though for someone that. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So. With reparenting, um, there's a couple of areas where you can focus in on, and uh, a few of them are, you know, finding joy in your life. So connecting with your inner child and being able to um, say, okay, well, let, let, let's say you had adult responsibilities that were put on you as a child which oftentimes happens um maybe you weren't able to experience your childhood and so now you your your job to reparent yourself is to find ways to incorporate fun into your life and maybe that's you know um taking, you know, skipping down the, the block with your child, if you have a child, you know, or, um, you know, dancing in the rain, you know, I know there was that Drew Barrymore, <laughs> you know, video <laughs> with her dancing in the rain, right, like these little ways that you're connecting with that innocence, that maybe you weren't able to experience as a child and giving that to yourself now. Um, you know, I always go to Disney world. That's like my, I love Disney world. I I feel like that, that place was made for that reason, right. It's like to connect with your inner, your inner child, to be able to kind of just let go of the adult responsibilities for a minute and be a kid, you know? Um, so I think that that's definitely, uh, you know, a, a step towards healing that inner child and being able to kind of connect with, um, with that part and finding joy, Um, another piece that I think is so important through uh, the therapeutic process is self-care. And oftentimes with self-care, you know, it's kind of this concept that, um, you know, you go get your nails done or you, you know, have mimosas with girlfriends or like all this cute (laughs) stuff. Right. And it's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think those things are great. Um, But when we're talking about reparenting, it's more about, you know, Checking in with those meaningful self-care things, you know, getting meditation into your life daily, um, focusing in on, you know, um, if you if you're into yoga or, you know, getting a little bit of exercise and taking a walk. I mean, it's not major, major things, but a lot of times, you know, as children, we're taught to kind of neglect our own needs or not really, you um, prioritize our needs because it's selfish right and so as adults a lot of times we really struggle with being able to provide ourselves with that self-care for feeling guilty you know Um, there tends to be a lot of guilt wrapped up in that so when you're able to kind of work through um, that piece you know self-care I always say like self-care equals self-love right you're kind of telling yourself you love yourself when you're um, you know, prioritizing it. And again, in a meaningful way, you know, even eating healthier, drinking water, these are all things that, you know, um, can certainly help reparent yourself a little bit. Um, boundaries is another one I could go on for, <laughs> go on boundaries. forever about all the things, but, you know, boundaries is a huge one, you know, sometimes, you know, people feel so much guilt around setting boundaries, but it's self care, you know, that's a real key piece, to prioritizing yourself and saying, I love myself when I'm setting a boundary, um, you know, or I'm not allowing myself to people please, you know, that's another big one where people tend to kind of, you know, appease others or do things for others in an effort to be loved, to feel loved, you know, and ultimately they, they hurt themselves in the process, you know, it kind of has the, the exact opposite effect. So, um, you know, though, all those things kind of incorporate into, The self care piece, and then the other um, final part. I'll just talk a little bit about is self discipline, um, which I think is is another significant piece too. Um, You know, I feel like that's one where people tend to have either maybe lacked some of the discipline in their life earlier on in their years, where maybe they had a household. You know, I'll just use an example like no bedtime, you know, as a Mm -hmm. child, or there was no you know place to do homework, so they never prioritized homework, or, um, you know, maybe it was a chaotic environment, they're moving a lot, right? So they don't have necessarily the discipline as a child that sets that foundation. Um, and then they become adults that really struggle with, you know, getting to bed at a reasonable time, prioritizing their health, you know, their health, their well being, um, being able to, you know, maybe accomplish goals that they're looking to accomplish, because they lack some of that self discipline. um you know or on the other side of it too sometimes this is a a place where people lose connection with that part of themselves you know maybe you're like you you had a, a rigid you know household growing up where there were a lot of rules a lot of regulations and then you go to college and it's like a free for all you know and and um we see that a lot at the practice too college kids coming in where they're like I don't know what to do. I'm failing all my classes. And I'm really struggling here to kind of, you know, figure out how to get to bed on time. I'm going to bed at two or three in the morning, playing video games, you know, these are the common things, you know, that I think come up. And then they have to learn to kind of reparent that part of themselves to to recognize this isn't you're not doing this because someone's telling you, you're doing this because you want to be successful in your life. And you want to, you know, live a healthy life. And that comes with kind of working through some of that, that stuff and, and being able to create those parameters for yourself, re-parent yourself through that,
0: you know? Wow. It sounds so powerful. I feel like yeah, when you grow up in the extreme, like authoritative parenting and then the parenting, that's really hands-off where you might feel like you're unimportant because my parents don't care. They, they aren't setting those boundaries. So it's beautiful mm-hmm. to learn that middle balance ground where you start to set those boundaries and that Parameters for yourself as an adult when you do have the agency yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a big piece, I think, too. When you're when you're kind of in the driver's seat of your life, you know, it's I'm not doing this for anybody else, but really from for myself, you know. Yeah. For sure.
0: Yeah. You also mentioned that, which I wanted to touch on, that sure. you started your practice, a virtual practice, uh, at the start of COVID. You stated. Mm-hmm. Um so what was that like and I'm curious what was the the symptoms that you were seeing in a lot of your new clients at that time. Yeah,
1: so at the time um I was working in a private practice and um we had to go to a you know, an all virtual kind of situation. Um, And I had, you know, I had space at that time I was working there. So um, when we made that transition, initially, it was a tough one, you know, it was quite an adjustment. Um, But then as time went on, and we were doing that for quite a while, it kind of became more the norm. Uh, And I was really seeing the need that was coming up um, for more services and more access to services. So, um, you know, it was a little, it was a little bit of an interesting time to kind of take the leap. (laughs) But, um, you know, I'm I'm very thankful that I did. I think it was definitely the right time for me. And, um, you know, we through that experience, you know, it was like, as a therapist, you're kind of navigating the whole thing yourself and, you know, dealing with yourself. And then on the, you know, on the other side of the camera, they're, you know, your clients are experiencing this and you're kind of navigating it a little bit together, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So those days were very long. (laughs) Uh, But I think, you know, Ultimately, um, a lot of the symptoms that I was seeing come in were patients, you know, um, primarily I was seeing a lot of mothers that were really struggling, um, you know, and and as a mom, I could certainly relate to their experience where there was just so much unknown at that time. And, um, you know, there were. You know, mothers looking for therapy that were going through birthing experiences. Not sure how that was going to go. Is my husband allowed to come in the room? Is he not? Or you know, um, kind of fearing that, fearing you know what what if something should happen during the process of delivery? So you know, I was kind of working with clients through those experiences, Um, and then after that, you know, it it also just like the um, managing the school caseload, having kids home while you're trying to work. You know, that was definitely a big adjustment for a lot of, a lot of women for sure. Um, You know, definitely a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, depression, um, you know, that people were experiencing. So, you know, again, I was really grateful to be able to be a support to people during that time. And I think my clients in in some indirect way were a support to me too, you know, um, that, you know, we're going to get through this and we're going to be able to kind of, um, get on the other side of it at some point, you know? Um, but I definitely think in some ways that kind of shaped my practice, um, because we do have quite a few mothers that do come through. And I think that's definitely, um, become a bit of a niche for us with mind body counseling, uh, where, you know, we are able to help moms that are experiencing, you know, um, stress and anxiety, the life work balance is a big piece. I think, you know, through COVID, that's one thing that's definitely um, in some ways, I think helped people realize or recognize that life work balance is so, so important, you know, and, and a lot of people have transitioned to, you know, working jobs at home as a result of that. And so it's really kind of changed, you know, the whole, the whole dynamic of how therapy is, is given, you know, and. Um, and how people are living their lives, ultimately. So it's definitely was an interesting experience, for sure.
0: Yeah, you're both learning to navigate the changes. And I can imagine it's so scary to not know how things shift from day to day, and not really knowing what to expect and feeling out of control on top of that, being responsible for another little human being or multiple human beings, and then Mm -hmm. having to take care of people at home. It's just a lot on your plate, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Really. It really
1: was a lot, you know, and I think, um, I think it definitely made a mom stronger (laughs) to say the least, you know, to be able to kind of get through the uncertainty and come together and, and, you know, like I said, get to the other side of it for sure.
0: Yeah. Can you kind of touch on some of the limiting beliefs that, a lot of moms hold about themselves and their own parenting or what they feel uh, worried about as a mother? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think,
1: you know, I think there's several limiting beliefs that, you know, moms tend to kind of gravitate towards. I mean, I think the big one is, you know, this desire to have to be everything for everyone. Um, You know, it's like you want to be the best mom and be at all the functions and be able to do everything for your child and have them make sure they're clean and they're dressed right and they're, you know, everything's perfect, your house is clean, you know, all of these um, kind of unrealistic expectations. And then you're supposed to have a full time job and be successful and, you know, kind, you know, move up and make money and, you know, have these really, really unrealistic expectations put on women, um, you know, and mothers, especially to kind of meet these standards. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people, A lot of mothers really struggle with the perfectionism piece, you know, and and feeling judged or feeling like other mothers are thinking negatively about them if they're not, you know, keeping up or doing what what everyone else is doing, you know, Um, it's always interesting to hear about you know, the um, kind of like the dichotomy. It's like, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're, you're not doing enough because you should be out working. And if you're a working mom, well, you're neglecting your kids, you know? And it's like, there's no kind of middle ground sometimes. So, you know, in sessions, I'll talk with moms about, you know, finding that balance in your life. And a lot of times, you know, you're not seeing what people are doing behind the scenes. Like if you're seeing a woman that's successful and has a family, and doesn't seem stressed out, most likely, she's got a team of people, a village behind her helping her through those experiences. And a lot of times, you know, that's something we just overlook, you know, or don't think is part of the process, because people don't want to even share about it. It's like, there's like shame in it or something, you know, to say, I have help with this, or I have help with that, you know, when in reality, you know, that's, that's an an old concept that it takes a village to raise a, ki- a family, you know what I mean? But it's something we have really kind of lost touch with. Um, so I try to kind of, you know, uh, bring those points up to moms that, you know, to have grace with, you know, to give yourself a little leeway here, right? Like you're doing so much for, for everyone and, you know, you're not supposed to do it all by yourself. That's not the way it's intended and it's okay to, to lean on a, a, a you know, a village to help you through it, whatever that might look like, you know? So I try to offer up suggestions like barter with other moms, (laughs) you know, get, you know, if you can't, if you don't have the money or the funds to hire a sitter, well, then you know what, work out a situation where you can, I'll watch your child an hour, you watch mine an hour, or, you know, if you're in a situation where you can't afford to have a sitter, come, come and take care of the kids for a few minutes so you can get a little exercise in. Do that, you know, try to, you know, get up a little earlier before your kids get up and get that meditation time in for yourself, you know, finding ways, you know, kind of tying back to reparenting, you know, finding ways to incorporate that self-care into your life um, by leaning on and delegating out some of those responsibilities.
0: Yeah, those are all really good suggestions. Thank you for sharing that. I've heard the bartering one before and I thought that's such a great idea. Like it's it's something so small, but that a lot of people, I guess the asking for help must feel Mm. really scary and vulnerable for a lot of people because maybe there's an assumption that it makes you less strong. I'm not sure what the, yes, I think.
1: That's definitely a big one, um, for sure. And I think that's probably taps into deeper issues, you know, um related to, you know, self-worth and validation, you know what I mean? If you're struggling um with asking for help, you know, I, I always say kind of like try to just practice it in small ways, um, you know, and it will get a little bit easier. It doesn't mean that you're not capable by asking for help, you know, um, it just means that you need a little help and that's what we're all here for, you know, and, and really what keeps the world going, you know, if we're all there for one another in some way. Um, and I think, again, I think that's another thing with COVID too, that had really kind of been really impactful, you know, it was hearing those types of stories where people were leaning on each other to go run to the grocery store to help each other out or, you know, um, you know, I know like my neighbor, he or she, we had, we were both working from home, you know, and I would ask her, can you just like keep an eye on the kids in the yard yeah. for a minute? So I can like take my calls, you know, like we, we had to work it out, you know, and, and I think that that's definitely, um, you know, trying to let go of that fear of asking for help. It's a, it's a process. It's not an easy thing if you've been conditioned to kind of, you know, have to do it all.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that being a mom is like the biggest superpower that I have so much. I'm not a mom myself, um, but I can't even begin to imagine on top of work. And if you're going to school as a mom and then you have children and a relationship, potentially, if you have a husband. So it's like all of these, you have to play so many roles and then taking time to ah, have a breather and decompress. It's just... um it's, it's hard to kind of be everything for everyone at once.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, um, you know, I don't know if you like the standard thing I always hear is the mom guilt, you know, then you're in one spot and you're feeling guilty for being there, wishing you were in the other spot. And then when you're in the other spot, you're wishing you were doing the other thing, you know, it's like, like, kind of like this lose, lose situation where you have to really kind of, you know, I, I always say like, If I'm taking care of myself, how much better am I going to be to these little ones? You know, that that's what it's about, right? Like if I'm burnt out and I'm, you know, doing so much for everyone all the time, that's going to show up as irritability. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be maybe depressed. I'm going to be really struggling and I'm not going to be giving the best of myself to the kids, you know? So I think, you know, that's something I try to really bring home when the guilt comes in is that, you know, if you're taking some time for yourself every day, um, you may feel the guilt and that's okay. Try to kind of let go of it and remind yourself that, you know, you're doing this to, to show up even better for them. You know, that's what it's really about, you know?
0: Yeah. Because moms are so selfless that, you know, all you think about is your child needs you or your husband or your partner needs you. And we don't have the time to kind of just sit and give ourselves what we need.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. It's not as important for some reason, you know, but it is, it is. And that's, you know, something I try to really kind of help moms see and realize, you know,
0: yeah. To prioritize yourself just as much. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess my last question here uh, is relationally, What have you heard mom saying about how being at home with the kids or the husband and everyone in the family together? How has that impacted romantic relationships?
1: Yeah, I mean, through COVID for sure, I think it was definitely a a struggle for a lot of a lot of people, you know, um, now you have like I said, like your partner's home, if maybe they weren't home before, or maybe you're in really close quarters with each other. And, you know, you had to kind of navigate that um, and work through that. And, you know, um, definitely, I think the communication piece was a big part, you know, I, I mean, I think couples, kind of recognized where maybe their communication wasn't so effective, or maybe they were, you know, disconnected before, and now they're kind of facing it when you're, you have to be home with each other, you know, so um, definitely trying to work through the communication piece with um, individuals and couples when we've had couples come in for, um, you know, therapy during COVID. Um, I think now, you know, similarly, some of those same issues still manifest, Um, it's just, you know, now thankfully we've been able to kind of move a little bit forward from COVID, but it definitely, you see those themes and patterns kind of play out. I think, um, you know, where communication is, is definitely an issue for a lot of couples, you know, trying to kind of figure out the best way to talk about whatever might be coming up for them. And a lot of times, you know, that's rooted in their, you know, most times that that's rooted in their own. Issues that they haven't worked through, but they're viewing their partner as the parent that didn't provide those things for them, or will show up in the same way. And a lot of times it's about saying, you know, listen, that, you know, your, your partner is not your father, or your partner is not your mother doing these things to you, let's try to kind of reevaluate, you know, what's really happening. So, um, you know, even in couples, I'll sometimes Talk about reparenting, you know, um, because it is a kind of a significant piece to working on your own individual stuff and then being able to kind of, you know, bring that to the relationship.
0: Yeah. I think when you have that self-awareness and that insight, you project less onto your partner.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes, for sure. That's definitely um, you know, and, and when you're growing together you know, that's a huge one too. A lot of times when, um, one cup, one partner is kind of going through that process of self-awareness and maybe therapy, self-growth, and the other partner isn't open to it. A lot Mm -hmm. of times the relationships don't work because, you know, you have one person that's kind of seeing through these, this lens now, you know, this kind of like awakening moment and the other person is not, you know, so, um, it is a beautiful thing when couples are just as eager to work on themselves you know, as a couple and also individually to kind of address whatever might be coming up for them.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful because they have to meet you halfway. A partnership is two people, not just one. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Very nice. Well, Danielle, are you currently accepting new clients to your practice? We are. Yes. Yeah. And we are accepting virtual clients.
1: Um, we're located in New York. So um, for any clients that are located in the New York area,
0: Wonderful. And where can people find you? Do you have a website? I do. My website is
1: www.mind, body, B O D Y, And I also have an Instagram page um, that's at mindbody underscore counselor and a Facebook, Mind Body counseling.
0: Awesome. Thank you for plugging all those. And I'll be sure to put those in the show notes as well. Um, I thank you so much. This was a really insightful conversation. I feel like I learned a lot. And I'm really happy that you got the time to come on and share your wisdom with our listeners today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great experience.